to have you here this morning. Welcome to Southwoods. If you haven't heard, on the fifth day till Christmas, Southwoods gave to me two Christmas Eve services. We have two services. We have two services this Thursday, uh, Christmas Eve. Um, if you haven't already, please reserve yourself a spot online so that we can make sure, that we can ensure that we're all socially distanced and we're doing it safely. Um, you know, so you can go onto our website, and if you see that one of the services is full, it will redirect you to the other one. Um, but go do that. You know, come at the very least as a reminder um, about the great, great story that is all about Jesus and the saving, saving grace that He provides. Um, so come as a reminder for that at the very least. Invite your friends. Um, if it fills up, 
in unlimited spaces online, right? We got to hear this story. So let's continue to worship him this morning. a moment and I forgot let's say hi to one another we're all this room is packed hello on the live stream we're going to continue on with our worship with a, a new song here and uh, just encourage you to listen to the words and sing along if you can
about how we praise, we sing that, we know it, we proclaim it, but this is an opportunity also for us to show in, in service um, and let our, our belief, our, our assurance that we just know he's the name above all names. It's an opportunity for us to reflect that in our giving. And, you know, I just, I've been so encouraged and so um, thankful for how I've seen and heard and continually heard that this church continues to be faithful in such uncertain times. But we do have one thing that is certain, and that's exactly why we can go boldly and give boldly. And so I just want to take a moment to remind you that we have three ways to do that this morning um, and allow him to be the name above all names and let that reflect in all areas of our life. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. 
stars go by Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light The hopes and fears of all the years are met in
morning, Southwoods. I'm going to ask you if you would, let's bow our heads together and let's, uh, let's pray. All right, Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your grace, for the promise of your presence among us. You've said that we're two or more gathered in your name, your present. Uh, just can't think, help but think of on the day that you were born, there were two gathered, Joseph and Mary, and there you were present in their midst. And in ways we don't fully understand, you're still present right here among us. And so we're grateful for that. We're grateful for your presence in the past and the presence in the, this moment. We ask that you'll speak to us through your word, that you'll open our minds and our hearts and guide our lives toward your way of life, that we might, uh, might find joy in you, joy unending. And um, we just invite you to speak to us this morning from your word. We lift this prayer together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, glad that you join us this morning, uh, whether you're online, whether you're on site in person with us. Very grateful for that and trust that everything that we're doing here will just add more meaning, more value, uh, more substance to your Christmas celebrations this year. Uh, this is clearly a weird time, but uh, we're blessed to be able to be together and blessed to celebrate and remember what it's really all about. You know, cities all over America love to celebrate Christmas and with very little effort in most larger towns, during most years especially, you can find lighted Christmas tree tours, you can find holiday parades, you can find Polar Express train rides. They, those have just multiplied all over the country in the last few years. Uh, you can enjoy drive-through light displays, you can visit live reindeer at your local zoo. I mean, this is, it's just an amazing time, really. Uh, in our world. Uh, you can take festive carriage rides. You can find figgy pudding at many restaurants even as a dessert if you really want it. Um, celebrating Christmas has become a really popular thing over the years in our world and in America. But 2,000 years ago, Christmas could only be celebrated in one place. One little town in the entire world was the birthplace of Christmas. It was a sleepy, seemingly insignificant little town in ancient Israel, and Christians sing about it, and we just sung about it. We do that every Christmas, and for the next few minutes, what I want us to do is I want us to reflect together on the implications of that town and just things that, insights that God can give us just by the place that he chose to enter into our world it's a significant place. It escapes many of our awareness, but not this year, not today. And so if you'll listen close for the next few minutes, I think what I have to say will bless you because it comes from Scripture. It'll add value and meaning to your Christmas. And uh, hopefully, some of it you'll never forget. The town I'm speaking of, of course, that we just sung about is Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Let me tell you a little about the place. You'll find Bethlehem. If you go to Israel, you can still find there, go there today, five to six miles south of Jerusalem, kind of up on the hills there, just outside of Jerusalem. Lori and I have been there. Several of you who have been uh, to Israel with us have been uh, to Jerusalem in the vicinity at least. Uh, Jacob's beloved wife, Rachel, died and was buried there in ancient times there in Bethlehem. And you can read about that in Genesis 35 if you've never really read that before. Uh, Ruth and Naomi of Old Testament times settled in Bethlehem. You can read about that in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. King David, Israel's great king, called Bethlehem home. 
He learned to shepherd the people of Israel and sheep on the hills of Bethlehem. And in fact, if you read in 1 Samuel 16, he was anointed by God to become king and later, you know, sort of crowned king and all that in the hills of Bethlehem. It was, it was an amazing thing, and you can read about that in the Old Testament. But by the time that Joseph and Mary showed up in Bethlehem, all of those things were distant memories. They were actually ancient history, you might say, by the time Joseph and Mary show up in Bethlehem. By the time they were there, Bethlehem was an insignificant overlooked bedroom community for Jerusalem. Day laborers, the working serving class who couldn't afford to live in the capital city of Israel, Jerusalem, they couldn't afford to live there, so what did they do? They commuted on a day-to-day -day basis, either on foot or if they happened to have some resources on a donkey or some other means of transportation in ancient times. They made their way into the city every day so that they could serve and make a living providing for their families. It's into that kind of a place that God chose to enter the world. And Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and following describe the moment, sort of the scene of the time in this city. It says it this, it describes it this way in Matthew 2, verses 1 and following. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. It's kind of a description of this idea of Christmas, it's already happening, beginning to happen. People are starting to flock to celebrate and, and honor the newborn king. It's already happening. Verse 3 continues, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. And he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And they quoted now, a prophecy that had been written in the prophet Micah centuries before, many centuries before. It, Micah says this, under the inspiration of God, it says, And you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people, the shepherd for my people, Israel. Now just look at that verse one more time, verse 6. You, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Why did the prophet need to reassure Bethlehem that it wasn't going to be the least? Why would he do that? And, and I want you to notice, it's not just least in Israel, but least in Judah, even. It's like, this is, this is like a small diminutive little town is kind of what he said. Why would we do that? Why, why would the prophet reassure him in this way? Because it was small enough, insignificant enough to seem like the least. And everybody just thought this is, this is a hole in the wall. Nobody, you know, no place kind of place. You didn't want to move there. Maybe people would, would have preferred to live a whole lot of other places. But I want you to hear this. God chose what seemed to be the smallest, the least significant place in all of Judah to give birth to the greatest miracle of all time. That's good news for us if you ponder it a little bit this Christmas season. How, you say? I am convinced that many of us, most of us in fact, live our lives thinking, I'm 
pretty insignificant really in the big picture scheme of things. I'm really not that important. I'm really not making much of a difference. I have dreams and aspirations, gifts and abilities that are far beyond what I've been capable of achieving, capable of accomplishing. And and we sort of live our lives with this angst inside of of insignificance and, and unimportance and the good news for you and me and Jerusalem or and Bethlehem and, and Jerusalem for that matter, because in the scheme of the global uh, things, it's also kind of considered to be sort of insignificant in many ways. But of course, it's going to be grand beyond our comprehension in time. But God is specializing in choosing the least to do great and significant things. And he wants to do that with you and through you. What's to do it with us? First Corinthians chapter one, verse 26 tells us this. The Apostle Paul is writing here to this church, this little church of Corinth at the time. He says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things of uh, the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. Do you hear what he's saying? And he kind of, I know some of us just think, well, what is he really driving at here? Here is, here is what he's trying to convey. That Bethlehem and you and me, we may feel insignificant, but God considers you to be of importance beyond your comprehension. You matter to him. He actually prefers the least coming alongside of the least and making something magnificent and great and glorious through the life of somebody humble who will simply seek him. It's important you and I remember that the place God chose to enter the world was a place of humility. And his great longing is that every one of us will move into that place just like he did. To help us appreciate even further what God has done for us in, in selecting the place of Bethlehem, it's important that you and I be reminded not just of the place, but the problems in Bethlehem that first Christmas. We don't often think deeply about that, but in Bethlehem there were some problems. And if you look at Luke 2, what the scriptures say there, this begins to summarize some of those in fairly succinct language that many of us are familiar with. But it says, the passage, that at that time the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. And this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Let me just pause. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor, which means that there were others, okay? Others as well. Um, just hold that in your mind for a few moments. Verse 3. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. Now, several problems are alluded to here in the passage, but in the familiarity of it for some of us, or just in the quick reading, it, it can escape us. But do you know why a census was taken in ancient times? So that they could increase taxes. 
They want to make sure that they got the full taxation out of the populace. And so the fact that Quirinius is producing a census here, is demanding a census, is indication that the poor were about to become poorer. That's what that was for. And the fact that this was the first census means that this was kind of a pattern in ancient times. It was going to continue. Mary and Joseph were, of course, affected by this. They were common people. Uh, they weren't among the wealthy receiving the taxes. They were among the poor giving the taxes, the, ta the taxes to the government. They were not noble. They were not wealthy. Joseph was a carpenter. He worked with stone and wood. This is the kind of thing that a carpenter in ancient times did. He was a builder. Mary was a pregnant teenager. Just let that sink in if you haven't thought deeply about that. She was a pregnant teacher, a teenager somewhere in the range of 90 to 100 miles from home without her mother, without her friends, without a doctor, nurse, midwife, or a hospital close by. Both were at the mercy of circumstances far beyond their comprehension and control. I mean, you think about that. Many of the things we do, we make choices, but Mary and Joseph, I mean, a number of things in their lives were scripted centuries beforehand. It was said in Isaiah 7 that the virgin will conceive a son. You know, this is, this, it's, these, these are circumstances way beyond their comprehension and control. Both of these individuals, both Joseph and Mary, were misunderstood people. I mean, everybody in their lives had, even if they loved them, had questions in their minds about their their morals, their ethics, their, their character. I mean, you just, I mean, just think about it. How would your friends, your parents, your family receive the news? I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You know, really, I didn't sleep with her mom. I mean, she, the Holy Spirit made her pregnant. Yeah, yeah. Even if they were people of upstanding characters, we know that they were from Scripture, you still have those nagging questions in the back of your mind, unless you were the one who saw the angel, unless you were the one who had the experience. But those weren't the only problems that were present that very first Christmas in Bethlehem. We read on in the text, Luke 2, that says, And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son, and she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. One of the biggest problems in Bethlehem at the time, that first Christmas, was that there was no room. No room available for them. Only an animal stable. No crib. Just an animal feed trough. A manger. You were Joseph and Mary and obstacle after obstacle after obstacle put in front of you of this sort, would you not begin to wonder somewhere along the way, what is God up to here? I mean, this is the Messiah. This is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, entering into our world. What is he up to? There's not even a room available for him. There were problems at the first Christmas. It was not an idyllic, picture-perfect moment. And, 
And of course, King Herod created more problems as the days followed, if you've read your Bible and you know the circumstances. But many of us have problems this Christmas, and we should find some comfort in this fact. I mean, comfort uh, in the fact that, you know, we're not the first to have Christmas disrupted by circumstances well beyond our control. COVID-19 has complicated Christmas, shall we say, for everybody. Everybody, all of us. Doesn't even matter what you believe about the virus. It doesn't. Mask or no mask, your life's been complicated by COVID this year, right? Everybody. Some of us have got medical issues related to all of this or completely disconnected from COVID. We've got medical things going on. Some of us have got job problems. This Christmas, some of us are missing a loved one who's passed away. Some of us have financial challenges that have emerged in some fashion because of all that's going on in our culture. We all have circumstances and relational challenges that are beyond our control. We need to find comfort in the fact that this did not begin in 2020 in our little community or our country or our world. It, it was present in ancient times in Bethlehem when Christmas began. This has been going on for centuries. Jesus knows what it's like to have your life disrupted by these things and to face problems. Rest in that. Lean into that. Find hope in that. But even more important than all of that, we're reminded when we look at Bethlehem as the place, the birthplace of Christmas, is that there are two promises of Bethlehem. Some of us tend to focus on on the problems. But Scripture would have us to focus on the promises, the two promises of Bethlehem. The first is recorded in Micah 5. I referred to this passage a little bit ago, but we'll read it from the prophet himself in Micah chapter 5. Start at verse 2 and a couple of verses that follow. This is what he says. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. And he continues and said, and he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. And then his people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly honored around the world and he will be the source of peace. Why don't you read that last phrase with me? And he will be the source of peace. You know, the first promise of Bethlehem is this, that in the midst, into the midst of problems, the source of all peace entered the world in Bethlehem that very first Christmas. It was the birthplace of peace. It's a great irony because if you travel to Bethlehem today, you would look at it and you'd say, well... The spirit of peace is in the world, but it surely has not overtaken Bethlehem yet. It hasn't. They've managed to be divided even over the birth of the Savior. And you look around our world, and there's still not peace pervading every nook and cranny and corner of our world, is there? But the birth, the source of all peace has been born into the world. His kingdom is not of this world. 
but it is slowly but surely by the power of his spirit going to take over this world. And so when you think of Christmas, he's come to bring peace. And he wants to start by bringing it into your heart and your life. He wants to bring peace between you and God. You think back to the Garden of Eden. Way back in the beginning days, there was enmity, division that was created between mankind and God. Jesus came to begin to bring peace into our world by starting, by reversing what took place there. He wants to make peace between you and God possible. And it begins with him coming and dying as a substitute sacrifice for our sins. And it becomes ours as we acknowledge that he's done that and invite him to bring his peace, not just into our world, but into me, into my spirit, into my life. This is part of how God begins to bring peace to the world is he does it one person at a time all over the globe, and it starts with you. It starts with me opening our hearts. Peace between us and God and peace within. But the day is coming. Scripture is exceedingly clear that he is going to bring peace among all the nations, among all the mankind. He's going to bring peace to everyone. And it's important that we recognize and celebrate the peace that God wants to bring to all of us. But there's another promise of Bethlehem that's hidden in the name of the town itself. And this is one that is, I, I dearly love. And the name Bethlehem itself in the Hebrew means house is Bet, B-E-T-H. Lechem, or Le Lehem is how we say it, but it's Lechem is the Hebrew. Bethlehem means house of bread. House of bread. What's that name really have behind it? Think of it this way. Jesus once said this about himself. John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And in John 6, verse 48 and following, he continues and he says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. That's Christmas, friends. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so that the world may live, is my flesh. What's the point? Here's the, here's the point, friends. At the house of bread... Bethlehem, the bread of life, entered the world. And he came so that he could offer eternal life and peace to every man, woman, and child who would turn their hearts toward him. And this year, this day, every one of us has an opportunity to look toward Bethlehem and to remember and humble ourselves and surrender ourselves to him who's come to bring peace and hope and help to us. In just a few moments, we're going to share in the Lord's Supper together. It's, it's not a coincidence 
that during the Lord's Supper for centuries, believers have been gathering and remembering Jesus' sacrifice. And what do we remember it with? We eat a piece of bread. What's it representative of? The bread of life. The bread of God, the bread of heaven. Sent from above as the atonement for your sins and mine. And we drink the juice, which is representative of his shed blood. Offered on the cross that you and I might have hope and new life. In just a few moments as we share in the Lord's Supper together, it's an opportunity for us to, to remember, but to also declare heavenward our belief. Lord, I believe. I believe, Lord Jesus, that you came to make peace between me and God, between me and the Father. Not because I deserve it, but because God looks earthward and he sees a whole lot of people whose lives would be insignificant and unimportant if it weren't for his intervention. And so he's made a choice to intervene on your behalf and on mine. Let's bow our heads together. We're going to thank the Lord for that. And then we're going to share a few moments in communion together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to give us life eternal and peace. You are the prince of both. That night in Bethlehem, when you left a throne in the heavens and entered our world in flesh, you came to make available to us peace, life, forgiveness. As we eat the bread and drink the juice in these moments, whether we're here on site or whether we're listening online, participating in that fashion, God, we just ask that you'll hear our prayers, that just as you've already recognized our need for you, that you will fill us with a sense of assurance of our importance to you. Remind us, Lord, that you would have done none of these things if it wasn't that you had already chosen, chosen us as your own. So, Lord, as we take these emblems, we thank you. And we just acknowledge, we believe, and we thank you. We remember. This is our prayer. We lift it together in Jesus' name. Everybody agreed with me and said, Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me. Uh, as we wrap up before our closing prayer, I want us to do something. Uh, and I want you to think about all that we've talked about this morning with regard to Bethlehem. And I want us to just sing just this chorus a cappella together. All right? Just join me on it. All right. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and fears of all the years are wrapped up 
in the birth of the Prince of Peace. Remember that this week, all right? Let's bow our heads together and pray. Thank you, Lord, that you have come. We thank you for uh, just the special gift that you are, the sacrifices that you've made, some that we understand a little bit, but a whole lot that we don't fully grasp. We honor you. We celebrate the fact that all of our hopes and fears are wrapped up in you. And just as you've come once, we look forward to the day when you come again. And when you will take peace to a whole new level in our world. We long for that. And as we celebrate Christmas this week, we celebrate your birth, the birth of peace into our world. And we simultaneously look forward to its fulfillment, the completion of it in our world in the days ahead. Thank you, Lord, that you care about us. May you fill all of us with the the power, the presence of your spirit. May you protect us. May you grant us health and strength and healing and blessing as we celebrate your coming. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Merry Christmas to everybody.